in several chapters of Jesus in the Last Supper. Again, it's a crash course in what he's trying to leave these guys with. It's a crash course in the essential components of the gospel. Now, part of what they did that evening was celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what these symbols represent are the foundation of our faith. They're the foundation of what we're going to talk about as we move into the text this week. The foundation of our lives is Jesus going to the cross. Now here's how Paul in 1 Corinthians records part of what Jesus did on that night. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm going to invite you up to take the elements. I'm going to ask you to take them back to your seat. We're going to participate together. The ultimate picture of God's glory, the ultimate picture of God's love, is Jesus' death. It's the foundation of our hope. It's the foundation of our joy. It's the foundation of our love. His love for us. So come and gather these symbols of His body and His blood.
hearts the night before he's crucified. He's given these guys so much truth about who he is and how he expects them to live after he's gone. But our lives are rooted, our actions, our attitudes, and our behaviors are to be rooted and founded in his love. Ah, he loves us. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us. Demonstrates it in all kinds of ways. But he died. That we might be forgiven and live. His body was broken. He died. So we eat this in remembrance of him. shed his blood because without the shedding of blood there can be no remission or forgiveness of sin it had to be done so to remove all our guilt all our sin all of that he went to the cross and died for us we drink this in remembrance and proclaiming that the center piece of our life is Jesus and what he did on that cross. Now, God displays his glory in countless miraculous ways. Again, to be God is pretty cool. Because that omnipotent thing that comes with being God means you can do anything. He creates matter and the cosmos, material out of nothing. He appears to Moses in a burning bush that doesn't get burned up. He brings 10 miraculous plagues on the Egyptians so that the Jews, his people, can be set free. They're at the Red Sea. There's water in front of them, the Egyptian behind. So what does he do? He parts the water. Now, all the Old Testament is to point to the need for Jesus. That's the point of the Old Testament. God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. All we got to do is trust him. But the Jewish folks, quite frankly, did not do well. So Jesus comes into the world. He's born miraculously. We're going to look at that beginning in two weeks, the mystery of Christmas. He feeds over 5,000 folks with five loaves and two fishes. He turns water into wine. He walks on the water. He heals countless people, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. God can reveal 
his glory and his love any way he wants. There are no limits to how he can do that. And yet the way he chooses to most fully reveal that in the culture and the way we produce glory is unlikely. And what I hope to promote today, because I'm convinced it's what John the Apostle, inspired by God as he quotes Jesus, wants to communicate to us, is that God has limitless ways to display his glory. And yet he chooses the most unlikely means to most fully reveal his boundless glory and love. I'm getting older. I'm just not sure how much the church, generally speaking, gets this. I'm sitting at this table to keep me constrained. When you see me at the table, there is a point Because when I think about this, a myriad of emotions overcome me. But appreciating this truth more fully would improve our lives and improve the testimony to Jesus' glory and love. So picking it up, a few verses that we looked at last week and then moving on to one of the most famous texts in the whole world. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, we're still at the Last Supper. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Now you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, we're grateful for the love that we enjoy from you. We're grateful for your love expressed in sending Jesus into this world to die and to rise from the dead, to set us free and to empower us to love. I pray that you would fill us with your love, that your love would flow out of us even more fully. I pray for us as a fellowship 
that those who know us at work, from those in this neighborhood, from our communities, our families, I pray, Father, that we at RCC would be recognized as your disciples because of our love for one another. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So God displays his glory in countless ways. How does he most fully display his glory and his love? We talked about it last week. We just celebrated it here. Through the death of his son, when everyone, including those knucklehead disciples who had been with him, and he tried to prepare them for this, everybody thought he'd been defeated and humiliated. Now, John's been working through the whole book, but through those first few verses there to try and make absolutely clear to us, this is the pinnacle of God's glory. The heights. When nobody could see any glory in it, they didn't get it until I'd risen from the dead. And when he'd gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now, I don't want you to miss. We're looking at two ways, unusual ways that God glorifies himself. The pinnacle Please don't miss the linkage. Because it's rooted in what we just celebrate. Our experience of his love and what he did for us is the grounds for our life. It's the foundation for our life. It's the foundation for how we view life. It's the foundation for how we view our families, the people at work, our church family. It's rooted in the pinnacle of Jesus' glory and love. His death. And then Jesus says, the other way I'm going to display my glory is through you all. You all have heard me say, if I were God, I think I'd have come up with a different way. Here's the summary of how God has chosen to primarily display his glory and love. Primarily, not exclusively. Through the death of his son and through us loving one another.
That's it. I don't know about you, but I'd like him to throw in a few miracles here and there. I read the Bible. He's capable of it. And yet he says, this is my plan. And when he got out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Primarily to the cross. But then I'm going to be leaving you. Is the table helping constrain me? But if you want to know one thing about when I'm gone, how I expect and hope you to live, this is it. If churchgoers in America could get this, there's a lot more people that would be interested in Jesus. If we could get this more fully. Where I am going, you cannot come. And then he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. A new commandment. Some of you read the Old Testament New commandment, it's actually in the Old Testament. What does he mean new? Moses in the Pentateuch, the first book that's not written in the Old Testament, but the beginning of it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's not new. It's been there forever. In Leviticus, part of the Pentateuch. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Golden rules, Old Testament. The Jews had that forever. What does he mean, new? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not new. Jesus, when being questioned by a lawyer, trying to be trip him up, well, which is the most important commandment? Now, when you try and trip up a guy who's omniscient, just let me suggest to you, you never actually are successful. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus knows the Old Testament. He just quotes it. And now he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. How is it new? Because I believe there's an element and dimension to it that's new. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, after you've met me, after you trusted me, after I empowered you from my death and resurrection, I put my stinking Holy Spirit in you. You love others like I have loved you. How is it new? That's standard. Love others as you like to be loved. That's good. I'm just going to tell you, I like to be loved. That's a good standard. Now love others like Jesus loved me. Later on, he's going to talk about it. I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him into your life. So you're empowered to love people like I have loved you. Man, is this exciting? Is this good or what? I'm stuck up there in the booth. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You see it there? I want you to notice he's going to say it three times. Just as I have loved you. There's the foundation of it. There's the source of power and strength for us to love others. It comes from him loving us. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Don't you wish he would come up with some other stuff? See that if? Huge if. If you have love for one another. We talk a lot around here about R cubed. It's the way we describe the Christian life. Capital R with that three up there, R cubed. The healthy Christian life has three categories of relationship. To build joyful communities of faith. This is our vision whose very existence inspires individuals to live an abundant Christian life made up of these three key relationships, an ongoing deepening relationship with God. There it is. That's the source of it all. A life-changing relationship with other believers. It's why we get together. Now, we have fun. We go bowling, some of us. Those of us who are more interested in sports play golf. But there's all kinds of ways we can get together and have fun things. But the point of our getting together is to help one another grow in our one. That's the point. Now, do we have fun while we're doing it? I don't believe there's anything more fun than talking about Jesus. And then an engaging relationship with those yet to believe. We just can't keep this Jesus to ourselves. We can't. we got to share him with others. Because the joy they get from Jesus and our sharing it increases our joy. 
And our conviction is that if we actually get what we just celebrated here, we're growing in our relationship with God, we're committed to other people to help them grow, and we want to have relationships with them because they believe they're going to help us grow, and then we just got to hang with those who are yet to believe. We can't stop ourselves. Do they hold our values? This is part that we just got to get. If they don't have Jesus in their heart, I am about 100% certain they're not going to share my values. My primary goal is not to get them to share my values except the value of loving Jesus. I want you to notice how from this text... R1, R2, and R3 are all there, and I don't want you to miss this. R2 is listed three times. Because it's the importance of us loving one another. If churches in America could get this, I'm convinced we would not be thought of generally speaking in the world as we are thought of today. A new commandment I give you, you see R2 there, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is the foundation of it. Our strength, our power, our energy, our motivation, our ability to love others. You know what's rooted in? Our experience of Jesus' love. Please hear me say, there is a direct correlation between our experience of Jesus' love and our ability to display that to others. If we're not loving others as fully as we would like, don't just try harder. Say, Lord, give me a deeper experience of your love. Because that's where it comes from. But this R2 thing is a big stinking deal. You also are to love one another. In case you missed it when I said it the first time, I'm going to be leaving you. You guys hear me say once in a while, I got three characteristics that I'd like the church to be known for. I'm not expecting that any of you listen or remember. Hope, joy, and love. You ask me three attributes of any believer in any church, including ours. Hope, joy, and love. The greatest of these, read Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, which is the greatest? Love. Because the love of God is the foundation of it all. That's where we get our hope. That's where we get our joy. And our three, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is the primary evidence. And in case you missed it the first two times, and I'm going to add a conditional clause, because I don't want you to think this because I said this to you, and John records it, that it's necessarily going to happen. It's actually got to be lived out. This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. If. You have love for one another. 
Now here's part of the way I picture it. Relationships R1, R2, and R3. You see the R cubed is the whole thing. See dotted lines because there's obviously crossover in all these relationships. Now I'm going to say this and then I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Does everybody know what rhetorical means? Don't answer it out loud because I've asked several people this question I'm about to ask you and nobody's gotten it right yet and I don't want to embarrass anyone. Well, there's a few of there I'd like to embarrass, but we'll save that for another context. R1 is absolutely the most important in terms of us having this experience. And in a real way, it's that love, you've heard me say that it's the foundation. But there's one of these three in terms of our practical experience that's key to our enjoying the other two. You heard me say rhetorical, right? Our one is the most important. Now, I hope you can get it from the text that we're looking at. It's our two. We can't get our one except for our two. Think back to how you fell in love with Jesus. God was using some people. My guess is they were loving. And if they shared the truth of who Jesus is with you, let me assure you it was the most loving thing they could do. And I have some people say, oh, I get it from the Bible. Yeah. We're looking at John right now. We're getting it from the Bible. It's not our two. We're getting it from whom? From John. We have a relationship with John the Apostle through what he told us. We cannot get our one except for our two. So if you look at our budget, we have most stuff going towards our two. And you meet this Jesus guy, you fall in love with him, you become a part of the R2 community, and then you get so excited by hanging with other folks about this Jesus and the joy you had him continues to grow throughout the rest of your life, and we cannot keep it to ourselves. we got to give this away to other people because we want them to enjoy what we enjoy. Because, doggone it, it is just too good. Good, this family, this church family, the love of Jesus we experience that comes through other people loving us and us being able to love them, we got to have other people enjoy this. We as elders have had dinner with many of you. Man, it's been a delight to get to know you, but this is what we've been trying to share a little bit. We're never going light on Jesus. We're never going light on our one. We're never going light on our two. But when we look at the fellowship, we'd like to be a little more thoughtful about our three. That's what we've been trying to share. Mostly because we as elders are loving what we're experiencing here and we want more people to enjoy this. I went to a rock concert this week. How many of you have heard of Elton John? You heard of that name? Yes. 
I've been a fan of Elton John since 1974. I realize that might be decades before some of you were uh, uh, even around. And I'm going to tell you, uh, 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 these guys can rock the house. And it was so much fun. And he's assembled a bunch of musicians. It is rock and roll. And Elton John gets worshipped there. There's a sense of energy and fun that about 20 minutes into trying to get out of the parking lot starts to dissipate. <laughs> we got something so much better. So much better. The anticipation, the fun. Ah, we got to share this with other folks. I was talking with Mike Boblett this week. Many of you know him, part of our fellowship here, and we were talking about the sermon he shared with me. He's, he, he, in his occupation, he deals with a lot of ministries. He'd been to a ministry conference, and somebody there shared these statistics. I don't have the data. I can't report it. But in a survey where people suggested they were interested in learning about God, 73% of them said, though, they wouldn't do it in a church. Because the pain they'd been caused in past church experience or by people who claimed to love Christ, 73%. Jesus says, this is how people are going to see my love. This is how people are going to see my grace. Your love for one another. Now, I see three key elements in God-glorifying act. And I've been thinking about this stuff forever. This isn't the, the uh, well, I think it's theology straight from Scripture. But so what is a loving act? How do we love one another? I see three key elements to it. The first one is we actually do something to meet someone else's need for their joy. Might just be lonely and we sense it. Might need food. Might need money. Don't know what it is. Might need their leaves raked. I love being in Southern California. I have never once raked leaves. As a Midwest kid, I hate raking leaves. Everybody has so beautiful colors. Look at all this. You West Coast people go out there. You know when they fall and after they turn color, somebody has to rake those things. It is unpleasant. But we do something for somebody else. To increase their joy. We're motivated by our joy, never by obligation. We have resources that we could use for our immediate pleasure, whether it be our time sitting at home watching that new show on Netflix, whatever it is. Money, we could use it for our own personal fulfillment, but here's the key. We find more joy in using that for somebody else's joy. Now, I think there's people out in the world, there's a lot of people out there that do those two. What sets our love apart is this third one. We're hoping they see Jesus' love in and through us. That's what we hope. Can't guarantee that it'll happen. So, I've been thinking all this week, what's our love for one another look like? I'm just going to throw out a bunch of random ideas. Well, they're not random in the sense that they came from nowhere. They came from my head. 
So what does this Christian look, love look like? Just practically speaking, the first thing is it's empowered by our experience of Jesus' love. You've heard me say that. It's why Paul in Ephesians 3, he's just pulled apart the gospel. Ephesians is my favorite book. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 is how it gets expressed. But after he's pulled apart the gospel and how it all works, here's his prayer for those folks. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. They already love Christ. Here's what he prayed. I pray that you experience more of God's love. Because Paul understands it's the foundation of everything else. I pray that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the, 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 the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. My prayer for myself every morning and has been for nearly 40 years. Lord, help me experience more of your love today. It's the same prayer for me as make me happier. Because the two are inseparably linked. My prayer for this church, for all of you, no matter what your circumstances I pray for a lot of circumstantial changes, but the prayer that I pray for all of you and for our church always, no matter what our circumstances, help us to experience your love more fully. That is my primary prayer for everybody I know. It was Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus because it's the foundation of everything. Focusing on the treasure of Jesus, Dallas Willard years ago I figured it out when I first came to faith. I went to church, everything. When I was a kid, I came to faith at about 23, 24 years old, believed I was before, because I did all this church stuff. And Dallas Willard uses this language that we were using at RCC when I first came. You had started talking about before I got here. The distinction between the treasure and the vessel. And Dallas Willard argues that the church gets excited about the vessel, what we do. What's the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, right? Should the pastor wear preach in a suit? Is it all right for the pastor to wear shorts and flip-flops? Uh, I mean, I'm going to tell you, my dad got chewed out about 40 years ago for preaching without a pulpit. And if I told you who it was that chewed him out and I sat there and watched it as a high school kid, I think you'd be shocked. My young pastor, one of the things that broke my heart, because here's what I realized. Jesus is the treasure. All this church stuff there is just to point to Jesus, but everybody's getting excited about this vessel stuff. One of the things that both broke my heart early in my pastorate was for old people know what the worship wars. Are guitars and drums allowed in church? There were lots that were arguing yes. There were others that were arguing on the other side it was essential. How much time does Jesus spend talking about worship services? No, he doesn't mention it. I had a guy in my last church, I'm pretty sure he knew our constitution better than he knew the scripture. How much time does Jesus spend talking about church government? Doesn't happen to mention it. That's part of the vessel. We got to have vessel stuff. But once you see Jesus and really see Jesus, let me just tell you, Vessel stuff means less. It just does. And we around here want to do the best we can with the vessel because it points to the treasure. 
So don't hear me saying vessel stuff is inconsequential. But when you see the treasure, the vessel stuff, I'm just going to tell you, is less important. It just is. You just want Jesus. I got a whole bunch of others, so we're going to point others to Jesus. That's what we live for. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, because of our experience of Jesus, we're living in a way that we want other people to see him. We see the best in others. Glass half empty people need to contemplate Jesus' resurrection and his death. We see the best in others. We're not naive. We don't put our heads under the sand. It's not that we're not evaluating, but I'm just going to tell you, those who see Jesus and live for him, they see the best in other people. And we listen first. Rather than getting people to adopt our view when we want them to get a view of Jesus, we got to figure out where they are. So we spend a lot of time asking them questions. And we critique very, very slowly. Sometimes we may need to make assessments of things. It's actually the loving thing to do. We find pleasure in the help that we hope it provides and it's loving. But criticizing folks and seeing the negative things, it's just not where we go. Gossiping, how often do we gossip? Celebrating differences of opinion, of, of preference. Of opinion. I was just talking to a guy that likes the New England Patriots. <laughs> I mean, I can understand why you would have for years, but now... I mean, why everybody doesn't love the Vikings who are 8-1 and one and beat Buffalo last week to move to 8-1. and one. And in California, they cut to the Rams game in overtime. What were they thinking? Now, most of you don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? Vikings, the most thrilling game all year on ESPN in California when they went to overtime. These knuckleheads switched to another game. But we have differences. Those are cool things. Because you know what unites us? Jesus, we stand for truth, always. Loving people doesn't mean acquiescing to everything, but it does mean doing it lovingly. And we look to include others wherever we are. Being lonely is a miserable state. Most of us have been excluded from some group, something. We do our best to be inclusive. Whoops, and then that last one again. I put it up there because here's the key. Focusing on the treasure. When we focus on the treasure, experiences, love, it comes out. So here's my takeaways. I almost never ask you to do this. Do you notice it? I like memorizing things. I think it's cool. Memorize the verses that are meaningful to you. As strongly as I've ever encouraged you to do anything, I'm going to encourage you to memorize these verses. A new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. By this will all people know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Just memorize that. Every morning, ask Jesus to help you experience more of his love. As he does that, here's what I promise you. I guarantee it, more of his love will come out. 
If you're in a relationship that's hurting, maybe here in the church, home, work, someplace, move towards healing. I don't know what that means. Maybe you should make an apology. If you've been offended by somebody else, go talk to them and just share what you've been feeling. We're a church. We're to love one another. There's not been a church yet that's done that perfectly. Because we love one another, we're not going to live with unresolved conflict. But we're going to go talk to that person. We're not going to talk to somebody else and say, would you pray for so-and-so? You know what they did to me? We're not doing that. That last one there was not a request. I hope you heard it. We're not doing that. Somebody hurts us. Again, Jesus doesn't talk about worship stuff. He doesn't talk about church constitutions. He doesn't talk about any of that. Matthew 18, when we have problems with individuals because love is so one another, he gets downright precise. Go talk to them yourself. And if you can't get it resolved, then take somebody else with you. He gets downright precise. The tactical detail he gives us is uncanny. He doesn't say, you got to have organs with hymnals. It's not in there. Thank God for those that love you. Maybe send them a thank you. My wife was uh, not well earlier this week. She was fairly sick. We had somebody bring us dinner twice. Now, I don't cook much, but I am capable of getting a meal together for Julie when she's sick and for me. Because we think this stuff has to be big. I'm 64 years old. That somebody would do that for me? can't tell you what that means. The encouragement of my heart. This stuff isn't big. We're doing it, but this stuff doesn't have to be big. God could give us the big expression. Here's how he says, I want to glorify myself. Through all of you who love me, just loving all those other individuals. That's it. That's his plan. Text a person a day and encourage them from our fellowship. Here's my encouragement to you. Somebody you know here and stretch out of your typical circle. Something you've noticed about them. If you got somebody that you know that's struggling, reach out. How you doing? Just checking in. I'm suggesting a different person every day. Whoops, that was the end of my sermon. <laughs> I love y'all. I love the love that gets expressed here in a myriad of ways. It's God's design for who we be. The foundation is our experience of his love. So. We're going to continue to love him and one another. When we mess up, and we will, we apologize and go forward. That's love. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for choosing us to be the messengers of your love and of your glory. Oh, Father, 
This is so important to you. Prevent us from beating ourselves up when we look back on times when we weren't as loving as we could have been. But I pray, Father, you would fill us with your love. You would fill us with the experience of your grace. And I pray that it would flow like a river out of us to others. Don't let us pretend. Don't let us fake it. Father, may we at RCC be known as disciples of Christ. Because the people that hear about us and learn of us, they see in us a love that cannot be explained except for your boundless grace.